Parenting is hard. Few of us feel up to the task. The world is shifting, quickly and dramatically. All of us feel the changes affecting our families. The stress and pressure can be intense. We are here to help sort the good and the bad, provide insight and bring hope. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. We're so glad you stopped by. Well, welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am your co-host, Pastor Brad Mathias, here with Robert Beeson. Say hello. Say hi. Hi, Say Brad. Hi. How are you? Well, I'm fine, and I'm so glad you asked. Have you noticed my hat? I, I did. I was just going to ask you why you're wearing that hat. Well, thank you. I think that's awesome. So this hat is a special hat, Robert. It, okay. It's a result of a trip to Canada in the winter. Have you okay. ever done that? Um, I can't say that I have. Mm, yeah. Well, this hat is about a bear. Can you see the bear? I can see the bear. For our listeners, if you're just listening, you can go to our YouTube channel, and you can actually watch us. As riveting as that is oh, yeah. during this conversation. It's good television. Uh, you will be able to see my hat. It is a Patagonia hat, and it has a bear on it. My brother got it for me. Nice. Yeah. So are brands important to you, Brad? They are. I'm a big fan of brands. Okay. How about you? I don't really care. I like Patagonia. I like it because their clothes are lifetime warrantied. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're having this discussion and taking up people's time talking. Well, about. I think it's important for people to get to know us. And as a result, Robert, I have some questions for you. I'm going to let it be random and completely without bias. Just pick a number between 1 and 25. 14. 14. What was the first thing you bought with your own money? Um, probably a uh, Wendy's Frosty and Fries. No, that just that reveals so much about you. <laughs> well, I worked at Wendy's. So. <laughs> was I that in South Africa or in the U.S.? No, they didn't have that in South Africa. It was well, in California. Well, I don't know. I've no. never been to South Africa. I would say that was probably the first thing I bought. I mean, something food related. I, 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 I'm not into brands. You know, I just well, so I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that. You know, I don't think that's entirely true because you have an apple tattooed on your chest. A lot of our audience doesn't know that. Okay, that has nothing to do with the brand. That has to do with like. Um, my yeah. commitment to excellence. Whatever. So uh, what, I've, what I've promised our viewers and listeners last interview is that there would be some secrets revealed about Robert, and it's already happened. So I just want you to know that I have the gift of prophecy, and therefore I was able to predict exactly how you would respond on this opening monologue. Oh, okay. Well, you're a gifted man. So for a recap, Sarcasm. just for, for a recap for our audience, uh, Robert, first thing he ever bought, was a frosty at Wendy's and some fries. Is that think, correct? Yeah. That's what you think. Mm -hmm. And so Robert has become a foodie. So that just proves to you that in your teen years, the things that you focus on actually become valuable and important to you. And so it's uh, very telling. I think that might be reading into it a little bit. I don't think so. Well, today's guest is uh, an amazing man of education, mm -hmm. of learning, and I mean that in all sincerity. He's my bishop in the Anglican Mission in America. He has a PhD, master's, bachelor's degrees, and multiple different studies. He speaks at least four languages, and he is a man of great wisdom and learning, which is not always the same thing. I want to welcome to our audience today, Bishop Dan Scott. Hey, Dan. Well, good to be with you. It's great to have you here. So uh, we're going to call you Pastor Dan, even though you have a PhDs and you have a tremendous amount of uh, scholarly accomplishment in your life, and you have been a huge influence on me as well, personally. So I want to thank you for that. But I think for our audience, uh, 
one of the original reasons we started Brilliantly Brave Parenting was to equip parents to wrestle with the issues of a post-Christian culture. And this idea that we're raising kids in a generational stew, if you will, a transitional segment between what used to be traditional values in America to this sort of change where things are up in the air right now and parents are having a very difficult time navigating social issues. And so I know your heart is very much tuned to these issues. And so I wanted to have you on just for a free form discussion uh, about some of the things that you've been wrestling with. Yeah, well, the, the fact is every generation uh, is different. And the reason we have generational gaps is because a generation grows up uh, with different technology, different a different environment. Sometimes that's slight in past generations. It could be slight. Things didn't change too much over uh, hundreds of years even. But today that process has sped up so much that the idea of globalization, travel from anywhere in the world to anywhere in the world within a, a, a day, uh, you know, just uh, internet, it goes on and on and on, our discoveries in science. And so children grow up taking things for granted that their parents have to learn laboriously, hmm. and that becomes a part of their natural environment. And they can't imagine a world without these things. It can create quite a distance between generations. Yeah, absolutely. I know um, we have talked, and we being Robert and I in the Twin Gospel Alliance, we've talked to parents now for almost a decade about this idea that the values that are formed uh, by the age of 13 become sort of the values of the adult. Um, that there's a sort of wet cement that's occurring in the hearts of our kids and that the the impact of culture and media in particular has sort of accelerated that process. Have you observed that in your education and pastoring over the last 20 years? Yes, I have. And I've acknowledged it. I mean, I've seen it in my own life um, uh, because what you say is true, uh, except sometimes when there's trauma uh, in uh, even late teens and early adulthoods, that that kind of doorway, wet cement, as you put it, can be um, can be rather permanent, and uh, that's uh, that's kind of the experience of millions of people today now too. That nothing is fixed, even internally, that uh, they can't find a resting place once they have ad- adapted to one colossal change in the world, then they're immediately called upon to um, to face another. There was a, a, a person that wrote a, a best-selling book. Uh, Toffler was his name. He wrote a book called Future Shock. Seems to me that would have been in 1968. It's off the top of my head, but it's about right. And he predicted that uh, just like people experience culture shock when they go to another nation, have to learn a new language and so forth, and at first they find it interesting, and then comes a period to where it's almost unbearably uh, difficult because it, uh, it it kind of reshapes their whole internal being. Um, that people everywhere all over the world were going to soon begin experiencing this in what he called um, 
future shock, uh, that the future keeps coming at us in waves and makes us dislocated, even if we remain in the time and place or in the place that we were raised in. And this is, this is uh, something that's going beyond just generational gap. It's thrusting us into a kind of continual flux that we, we can't find our footing, no rock underneath our feet. We just keep uh, being pushed from one place to the next. Man. That's a lot. <clears throat> yeah, I was I was like writing notes as he's talking. I think the thing that's I, I couldn't agree more. And so to the to mom or dad out there listening and and saying, okay, yeah, that you just put into words, you articulated what I believe, what I see, and what I feel. What do you say to them? I mean, one of the things, and let me just while you think about that for a second, one of the things I love about the Anglican tradition is. Um, you know, I grew up in an evangelical home. I was a missionary kid and was very comfortable with Christianity. But what I resonated with most in the Anglican tradition was just the reverence and coming back to the liturgy and things that are like that are anchored in not only the church's history, but just in world history. And I think there was something very comforting to me. I was in the music business and it was fast-paced. And there was something that was really anchoring to me about getting into the Anglican tradition. And so um, I don't know if that will lead you anywhere. But I'm, I'm, the question is, wh- what do you say to those parents who are saying, I, I do feel this instability and this, yeah. the gap? For a person, uh, for a non-Christian, I really don't know what to say. Hmm. Because you must say, really, to the non-Christian, there is nothing permanent. There is nothing you will ever again be able to wrap your arms around and it remain unchanged. And to the Christian, I have to say, that's also true of your expression of Christianity. Your particular expression of Christianity was birthed in a particular time and place, and it will run its course. The hymns will change the uh, types of architecture to where people believe creates holy space and all. That will change. So what you have to do is to locate your place of stability, first, of course, in Christ himself but also in uh, that community that stretches uh, throughout time and space, what St. Vincent uh, uh, defined as being that which at all times and in all places have been believed by the whole people of God. And there is a place of stability one finds that's kind of located outside of time and outside your own space, but which nonetheless will anchor you uh, through all the the changes of the world around you. By the way, I'm a missionary kid as well. Oh, well, there you go. So talk a little bit more about creating that space. What what might that, from a practical standpoint, look like? Well, uh, I think in the rhythms of time, uh, sometime in the last oh, couple hundred years, Christians have gradually uh, accepted the uh, de- uh, demystifying of time, if you will. Uh, the time, uh, time used to be divided between kind of sacred moments in which uh, we experience timelessness uh, and those secular times that where, you know, there was just the stuff of everyday life to attend to. And what happened in the European Enlightenment is that all sacred time was dismissed and we entered in an eternal secular kind of time. Mm. Uh, Charles Taylor, in his uh, book, uh, The Secular Age, 
goes on and on about this, and I don't know what it is, four or five hundred pages, uh, and basically says that all people that belong to the North Atlantic cultures, which is U.S., Canada, Northern Europe, uh, we have all dismissed the transcendent as a real category. Hmm. And uh, by that, and he says that's true of believers as well, uh, that and by that what he means is there is nothing above us. Uh, there is nothing beyond us in some other dimension. We are trapped uh, in a in one Dagburn thing after another that has no particular meaning or relevance, or uh, things have no tie-in to one another. There's no overarching meaning. And so the Christian uh, locates that meaning in the revelation and the events and the practices uh, that have persisted across the ages and across the cultures. And that's where we find our permanence, or in my opinion, we don't find it at all. Hmm. Yeah, that was a lot. That's a lot to process. Um, Pastor, as you were talking, I'm thinking about uh, parents who are dealing with the simple fact that their student, especially elementary, K through five, K through six, these kids are coming home and they're reading curriculums in the public school systems. They're, they're experiencing different values that are, are coming into the house, through the home, uh, through the sort of public education world, which is shaped by this demystification, as you put it, of time, this sort of unconnectedness that life and meaning and values are all very sort of uh, self-centric, this idea of humanism or this idea that we are the sort of center of existence. The Christian worldview stands completely opposed to that in the sense that we point to something much bigger and deeper than ourselves. And so how the church then interprets that need and responds to that need for families to find something of stability in the quicksand that is our culture becomes a really important thought process, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and I think this is a place where we could learn a lot from our Jewish neighbors. Uh, Jewish people are not afraid of contemporary stuff. And the reason they're not afraid of contemporary stuff is that they, they know now that no age ever is really the apex of human thought. This is the great hubris of contemporary uh, Western culture that we now have reached this kind of pinnacle of thought and that we know now that past generations really didn't know as much as we do and aren't as wise, weren't <laughs> as, wise as we are and so forth. The Jewish people like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they, they do very well in any context that they're placed um, because they have another context when they go to their own homes. It's Shabbat. You light a candle. You eat different foods. You, you have a different rhythm at home. And so the child grows up knowing that, there's a, a, that there is a foreign kind of secular place that you can visit and do well in and perform. You don't have to battle it. But then when you come home, you don't just come home to your family. You come home to the ages and to the centeredness that you have. Hmm. That's something far beyond the contemporary culture that's swirling around you. It, l let me see if I can translate that. What I think you just said is that family becomes the centerpiece of stability then for culture. Is that what yeah. you just said? That's exactly right. But not just the family that's mom, dad, uh, sister, and a dog. Uh, it's, it's our extended family. 
uh, and it's also our family stretching back through time. Wow. So as we're thinking through these processes, it's no wonder there's such an attack then on the foundation of family in the spiritual world. I mean, if you think about it, if that's the cornerstone, if that's the anchor, the anchor, great word, uh, anchor point for uh, culture to be stabilized, then then there would be a concerted and persistent spiritual battle over the family. Yeah, that the the family is the conduit of uh, of values, uh, and uh, it's the compass. It, it it holds the compass from generation to generation, and the living are merely the trustees of a family that stretches back through time and also into the future. And we who are alive, we find ourselves within that flow. And the stuff of our, you know, our nation, our political party, our sports team and all that, we, we participate, but we know that that's much more transitory thing. Interesting. So, I mean, Robert, when you started asking that question, you were sort of touching this, this concept that the Anglican Church, among others, has retained a connection to its past, sort of its familial identity, if you will. Yeah, I think that um, what I have found in other, and not all, um, because I go to a non-denominational church now, but we're incorporating liturgy and you know various elements because I think there is a hunger in our hearts for for these anchors that that have been time tested that spiritually and. And just from an emotional and a wellness standpoint, have really helped the church, families, whatever you want to call it. I mean, a centeredness. And so, what I got out of the Anglican tradition was this kind of callback to something that that I had made so familiar. And so, instead of like, there wasn't a lot of root structure to my faith. It was more just happens. And, and looking back, like I think Dan, you 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 said something about. Um, for for the ages that they've been doing this, or you know, looking back, it's not just the immediate family, mom, you know, mom, dad, dog, and sister. It's it's you know the extended family and going back through the ages. There's something about that that we have lost touch with. And what I had, what I really appreciate about the Anglican tradition, among others, but that there is this call back to something that is centered and that that has been going on for a long time. You sen- feel a sense of belonging. Well, in, in American Christianity takes from its culture a much too uh, much seriousness about relevance. Uh, you know, in the end, relevance isn't really that important. Hmm. Uh, you know, our grandparents were relevant. Our parents were relevant. People are relevant to their times because they live in them. Uh, and the whole idea that somehow you have to march in and step with that no matter what and what you wear, what you, how you think, that's foolishness. Mm. Uh, that's, that's just, uh, it's, that's kind of the herd mentality that there, there's no particular virtue in not being relevant uh, or worshiping the past. Worship of the past is just saying, I'm going to plug into a, a period of relevance that's already gone. Well, mm. that's ridiculous too. What we're aiming for as Christians is timelessness. We are, we are seeking to touch. Uh, there's not, when we think about the tenses of time, we think past, present, future. There's a fourth one that we rarely think about, and that is timelessness. And the Christian, the Christian seeks to work within time, but also to live 
outside of time so that we are uh, connected to uh, that which is all times and all places been believed by the whole people of God. And we, in that sense, weekly, we connect to the past and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Christ, the apostles. We connect to the future, the world to come, when the lion lays down beside the lamb and uh, time shall be no more. But we experience sometimes just brief glimpses right now of that transcendent world uh, that, uh, uh, that in the secular age that Taylor says is gone. It's not gone. Uh, it's, it's merely denied. Hmm. Uh, and conversion is not just walking the aisle and saying the four spiritual laws or whatever that is, but conversion is the changing of our mind and realizing that the contemporary age lies to us about the nature of reality. He just said a lot. That was a lot. Okay. So as he was talking, and I wrote down this quote, what we're aiming for as Christians is timelessness, not necessarily relevance. Mm. Um, I think that really struck me because I, I believe, you know, in the Christian media world that you and I have existed in, Robert, for the last couple of decades, that relevance is important for the the commercial aspect of what we do. But I think what you're saying, Pastor Dan, is that you can't rely on that as a, as a way of engaging someone with the truth. Yeah. That its existence better be there. Like you should be relevant because you live in the time you live in. And I also think that there's a tendency for, especially Christians in the media, to think that relevance is the tool that it's up to us to relate to our culture when really it's God's job and the Holy Spirit through us to reach our culture. And we all speak for myself as a Christian music executive. I was more about how can we make this more contemporary, more relevant, more whatever, instead of just anchoring and, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue to do our gifts. We're going to tr- continue to strive towards excellence, whether it be parenting, making music or whatever, and just really allow room for what has been timeless. And that is God's intersection with man and the power of that. And I think it's a really good reminder. I, I think it's important to realize that what we're not arguing for is a worship of the past. Right. In our tradition, in Anglican tradition, there's people that wear, you know, you get the color wrong that you wear one day, or you wear the <laughs> wrong kind of cross, or you take three steps instead of two. That is unmitigated and idolatry and foolishness to the nth degree. Uh, that doesn't help anybody past, present, or future, and it's not, and it's disconnected from the world to come. It's just fussiness. Hmm. So that's not what we're after. If these, uh, the kind of symbols that we embody in our practice, have any uh, anything to offer at all, it's simply into a jolting of our internal selves hmm. to enter that place of timelessness to where. We're connecting with other believers across time and space. Hmm. Yeah. So as he's talking, I'm listening and trying to absorb that. Some practical things that may help anchor a parent or a family um, with their faith in particular is things like learning the creeds, like actually learning the Nicene Creed or repeating that, learning that as a family, being whether you're in a liturgical church or not, you can do that, um, where you have a succinct and beautiful summary of what is it we believe as Christians. Right. And the other thing is this idea of celebrating the Eucharist as a way of connecting with that timelessness. Right. 
where you are a part of something that's been going on for over 2,000 years. I think it's interesting. I agree with you. And I think uh, along with that, understanding why practices and rituals have, have been right. in place. I yeah. mean, to me, it kind of, it on, on a secular side, I have just been recently digging into this Ancestry.com thing. And Ooh. it's really fascinating because I'm, I'm learning more about myself by kind of piecing together like where I came from. I mean, it's really fascinating. When you start understanding the complexities of your life in context with where you've come from, it opens up a whole nother world of thinking. And I think so we are so consumer driven now where it's like, where am I right now and how, what's next? And, and what I feel like we're talking about here is just this opening our minds and then opening our kids' minds to there is actual reason that we do Eucharist every week or that we, that this symbol means this and that we say certain things. And I don't think we spend a lot of time like talking about the the history or the significance. And I'm not talking about let's get academic on our kids all day long, but it really is helpful building context, a context and purpose to to where we've come from, and also which, a, a worldview of timelessness. I think. Well, sure. And when you are able to give your children a an identity, a family that's rooted in the distant past, you've now given them an identity that's not in opposition to, mm. but is different from the, the, the contemporary world. So mm. before this nation existed, I know where my ancestors were. Uh, the first mention of them is on the little island of Iona off the uh, coast of Scotland. Mm. Uh, and that means something to me. Uh, so I've taught my children that, and they've grown up. They know their ancestors. And there is something about that living sense of being surrounded. It's kind of like a communion of saints for your own family. Right. Though many of my answers don't, weren't saints, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, it gives you a sense of identity and belonging in the world. So that little Johnny, by the time he goes uh, to school, he knows, you know, I'm a Jones, I'm a Smith. This is what this means. This is where we're from. Uh, and you have a different history than me, but I can learn about that too. I don't have to give up who I am for who you are. I love that. So, you know, as I'm listening to you, uh, Pastor Dan, and I'm thinking of the mom or the the dad who's uh, just tuning in to the podcast and finding out what we're about, what I think we're sort of touching the tip of a very large iceberg here is the idea of celebrating family and valuing the family and the connection with the church as a significant touch point, if you will, for a heritage of faith. So that you're beginning to plant in the minds of our children this idea that our culture doesn't have all the answers, that our learning isn't greater than another generation or another's, another culture's learning. We start to take away sort of that hubris, as you put it uh, earlier in our conversation. And that opens the door then for the fact that ancient knowledge and, and traditional value might have a place in my life. And it's sort of a very subtle but very effective way. I think it is. And it's it's not just yeah. about the learning of what to do or how to do it. It's an understanding right. of where we've come from and yeah. what, you know, where our roots are. Yeah. The contemporary world, including contemporary Christianity, is kind of like people living on the 16th floor of a building, and they don't mind that the first five or six uh, stories are on fire because it has nothing to do with them. <laughs> um, 
the recovery of our past is absolutely essential for us to live in safety and harmony and wholesomeness and mm. health uh, in our own times. Wow. You, you, That's a powerful yeah, analogy. I mean, you understand now why I was I wanted him on the show because Absolutely. I mean he's touching into these areas where uh, parents may not be able to sit down and read the latest thoughts on that or or sort of go through the different uh, you know scholarly works that exist on culture, but they certainly understand and sense in their day to day life that things outside of our home are hostile to the values of our past. And they are only about and only seem to be interested in things that are in the immediate. And so this idea of being able to pull back and reframe uh, the whole discussion is a very valuable tool for a parent. And if you're a parent listening, uh, where would they find out more about you, Pastor Dan? I have no idea where they find out more about me right now. <laughs> uh, I probably need to remedy that, but uh, you know, I've, uh, are I you on social media? A, I have pastored a church for uh, a, a long, long time, and now I'm retiring from there. Uh, but they can still find out a, about me on the Christ Church Nashville website, and that's uh, that's ChristChurchNashville.org. Uh, and on that website uh, for some time, if, if they need to get in touch with me or know more about me, uh, they can find that out there. Yeah, and I'll also jump in and say that he's on the amia.org site uh, under Coffee with a Friend. Um, and he's done several blogs. He's written many papers. He's written books. He's on Amazon. He's on Facebook. He's all over social media. And uh, he is a treasure of knowledge and wisdom. And again, I'll point out the difference. There are a lot of PhDs with knowledge, very few who are walking in wisdom. And so I am so glad we were able to get you on the show. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Thanks. God bless. Well, we're very excited to announce a partnership with the guys that we know from Boise, Idaho, Robert. Yes, we are. New release today. They're fantastic. Very, very relevant for what's going on. If you want to discover new music in the Christian realm, that's kind of the only place to go. Yeah, and not only do they have amazing music and amazing reviews and just a lot of information about Christian artists, but they are creating with us a brand new devotional product. Call it IRL Resources. Do you know what that stands for, Brad? I found out. You did? What does it stand for? It stands for In Real Life. That's exactly right, Brad. Very good. In Real Life, because a lot of times we have these standard devotionals that you know that, that we see, and, and we thought that it would be kind of cool to use their expertise in Christian music, couple that with actual scriptural and devotional thought that digs you deeper, not only into the song, but incorporates it into real life. And so it's a very vibrant and very awesome resource for families and for pastors. Yeah, and so if you uh, have a preteen or a teen in your home and you're looking for a new devotional to do weekly, we have a digital subscription online at irlresources.com. It's very inexpensive. The first study is free to check it out. There's nothing to lose. You should go there and see what's the latest thing in Christian devotional. Absolutely. You won't regret it. Well, Robert, I... Fire hydrant. Like yeah, right. Fire hose. Yeah, yeah. I was like taking a sip out of fire hydrant. Definitely. It was so good. But I think so many good reminders for us about just 
where we come from and understanding this idea of timelessness as it relates to our faith and our family. And, you know, it's, that was very helpful. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like there are things that you sense to be true, right? but you're not sure why. Hmm. And one of the things I love about uh, Dan is that he's taken the time to understand why, <laughs> right. right? Like he's, he's a scholar right. and you didn't take you long to figure out that, that he's thinking at a different level than most folks. Yeah. This you is know? true. It's like having lunch with C.S. Lewis or something. You know, he's. <laughs> I would be so nervous to do something like that. But yeah, you're right. And it is a treasure. It is a treasure to those of us that don't. I, I couldn't sit long enough to, to study, but to, to know someone that is trusted, that has walked through these things, that has really sourced out what we suspect is going on, mm-hmm. it's very enlightening. Well, he would never tell you this, but he's been on like Fox News and uh, like Dateline. I understand why. I mean, he's a, a, a serious uh, thinker and writer of of recent events. And he's very ecumenical in the sense that he really wants to understand you know, how does the Jewish culture respond to this? How does the yeah. Roman Catholic culture respond to this? How do the evangelicals respond to this? And he doesn't do it in an elitist way. He does it with a sincere desire to find the commonalities. What is it about our faith that connects all these things together uh, that would really be important for us to know? Hmm. I think it's so true. And I, I love to kind of take this full circle, like he was talking about just the how the timelessness transcends kind of the immediate. We are so caught up in this kind of consumer-driven model of living that that we forget the anchor points. And um, I couldn't help but to go back to the importance of your hat and the the brand that you are so <laughs> obsessed with promoting as a way of making yourself feel better about yourself and some kind of status. Yeah. So I think that that was that was a very important point to kind of disarm well, you flattering yourself. You know, what I Patagonia. think is important for you to realize is that the timelessness of the brand is what was so exciting it's to me. It's just your lifetime. It's just guaranteed for your lifetime, yeah, and but that it, is not timeless. It gives me some solace, you know? It, okay. Like, if I buy this, it, it... I just wanted to bring this to a wrap and bring it all back to where it started. Well, I think the big part for me, as we were looking, I wrote notes all over the place. I can see that. I, I think there parents... There's a lot to... I think parents really are caught in a sort of nameless fear, which is that I can't seem to find firm ground in my life. Like what I push on changes next year. This law changes. This this used to be taboo and now it's not. You know, I used to really experience something with my parents. We'd go to a certain place and do certain things and that doesn't exist anymore. And that is panicky deep down. It is. I mean, that's scary. Absolutely. Because what we've become obsessed with, you know, there's another. Yeah, that's look at that. That's okay, cool. So we've become obsessed with kind of what's right, what's right in front of us, and person like our faith is based on personality of a pastor that we follow, or a podcast that we follow, or whatever. Instead of let's look at like what has worked over time. You know, it's the traditions of the church. I'm not saying I think he's so right. We can't worship the traditions of the church, but to not feel so out of control just because. Because personalities change, pastor fails us, or or whatever. There is, there's more to this if we just kind of step back for a second and maybe dig in. Yeah, and I, I don't, we don't have time to get into it right now. But I mean, if you think about the history of the evangelical church, you're really looking at a hundred years, you know? right. right? So you think back to some of these other uh, movements of God. So the Anglican started in the 1500s, you know, and you've got you've got Lutherans and Wesleyans, and you have 
you know, Presbyterians and Methodists, all these different groups of people have been around a couple hundred years, 300 years, 400 years, 500 years, you start to tap into something. Then he mentions the Jewish faith, which yeah, has been around yeah. for thousands, millennia, right? Yeah. And so the the concept of really placing yourself in time as you really are mm. versus buying into the hype of our current culture, which is only now matters. Right. And suddenly you have a different perspective on everything from what you buy mm-hmm. to how you raise your kids. That's right. I agree. Yeah. And so then That's family, a lot to bite off and chew, but I yeah. think that there, there are some practical ways to make steps towards that and to be deliberate about like understanding our faith and, and where we fit in relative to the church. Yeah. And so just as a quick wrap up, like super practical thought from that super high ideal, if you funnel that down to tomorrow. Yes, please. You know, make time for your family. Yeah. Cut out the other things in your life mm. because the connection that you're going to create with your family is ultimately going to illustrate the point. Right. That's exactly that, right. that family is important. And don't skip church. Mm. Have a constancy in yeah. your family that's beyond you. Right. Yeah. That's simple. It's very simple. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in, everybody. We are so glad to have you be a part of season five of Brilliantly Brave Parenting. And uh, if you want to see my super cool bear hat, you should watch us on YouTube. (laughs) You should. We'll see you here next week. (laughs) Right. God bless. Bye. Be encouraged, parents. You are not alone. In Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he writes, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Brilliantly Brave Parenting wants to be an encouragement and support that parents can rely on. Would you consider liking us and sharing us with a friend? As a part of the Tween Gospel Alliance, we are a nonprofit organization dependent on the support of friends like you. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be right here next week. What our kids believe is going to define them for a lifetime. According to George Barna, by the age of 13, what a kid believes is what he'll die believe. For parents and for pastors, that's a frightening experience, especially if you've got an 11 or 12 year old. At the iShine Ministries headquarters, this became a huge priority in the last year. We partnered with the Tween Gospel Alliance to bring you a brand new resource known as the Shock and Awe Study Guide. And I'm here with one of the co-founders of this entire program, Robert Beeson. Can you tell us what is the Shock and Awe Study Guide? It is awesome. More than that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> The Shock and Awe Study Guide is a super cool thing that either a parent can do with their kid or a youth pastor can do with their students or a children's pastor can do with their students. And here's the cool thing about it. It is apologetics for kids. Wow. So it's the really huge evidence and thoughts of apologetics wrapped in a way that is really tangible and simple for kids to understand, answering four primary questions. And they are, what if there's a God? What if the Bible is true? What if Jesus is who he said he was? And what if I'm part of that plan? And we believe if you can answer those four questions and you are drawn through evidence proving those four questions, that really it's gonna, it's gonna establish a pretty unshakable foundation of faith.
That sounds very helpful, especially if you're a parent or pastor and you're concerned about the condition of your child's faith, what they believe, what the voices of culture are telling them. If that's you and you're interested, go to iShineLive.com and check out in our web store, the Shock and Awe Study Guide. It has a digital cloud video base. So it's four studies in a small paperback volume for $9 and it has four videos that go with four studies. It can be done in a weekend, it can be done over a month, or it can be done bi-monthly, however you need it. It is a fantastic resource that I have used as a pastor in my own home church and I have been impressed. So check it out. Check it out.